So, title of the message today is called Pursuing Eternity. Pursuing Eternity. And uh, so our main scripture will be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. So if you could stand with me, and we will read those uh, verses now from the letter uh, from Paul to Timothy. So again, 1 Timothy 6, 11. Here we go. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you, Lord, for this morning that we can gather in your house or we can gather virtually and and open your word and, and, and study it and apply it and learn from it. And just thank you for the opportunity. We don't thank you enough for that opportunity. We often take it for granted. So I just pray this morning that as we dive into your word that we can see it and uh, see where we need to focus on you more. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. All right. So we, um, our family is getting ready to start on a journey that several of you have probably already been through. Um, but we have our first driver coming up faster than we uh, would like to see, or some of us would like to see. Um, just so you know, I will be the one doing the teaching, as Renee has said that she will gladly sit this one out, because uh, her nerves will be a little of a nervous wreck. But we have, a, we have an old little red truck, and we, we've kind of we got it out, we got it washed up, because ha- we haven't drove it much lately, but that's planned to be Joel's first truck. That's the current plan. And so he got it washed up, and he fixed the door handle. You know, a lot of little things. It's a 1990 Nissan, so it's it's got some miles on it. So, uh, but that's going to be his first um, first truck. And I'm sure there will be some white knuckle events um, during this time. And I know I've already thought about: Can I go ahead and put the parking brake right on the right, or the brake on the right side? You know, like those driver's ed cars. Um, But but he he does pretty good. so, but what we're, we're, we're trying to just, you know, wrap our head around that because it's going to be a wild ride. And uh, we hope not too wild, <laughs> but, but a wild ride. Um, the roads are a lot narrower here in West Virginia than they are in North Carolina, just so you know. That's one of the first things we noticed is that, are these two-lane roads or are these one-lane roads? There's still a yellow stripe down the middle, but it, don't, <laughs> it doesn't feel like it's wide enough, right? So, but it's, it's going to be a wild ride. And in this letter here today... Paul is encouraging Timothy because Timothy is in the middle of a wild ride. He is in the middle of this starting this church and leading this church. And then he's fighting, um, fighting um, against these people that just don't quite get the gospel. They're, they're focused on other things than the true message of Jesus Christ. So um, you could even say uh, in today's terms that Paul or that Timothy, excuse me, was being charged to be a little bit of countercultural, right? We need to, he needs to be counter the culture of his day. And so just like we have that very similar call, so there's a lot that we're going to be able to get from this passage today um, of Paul's letter to Timothy. So we're going to go ahead and get started. So right there in verse 11, it says, but as for you, O man of God. Now what a compliment. <laughs> what a compliment that Paul gives uh, to Timothy here, right here at the very beginning. It says, O man of God. So that's a term that's used in the Old Testament about 70 times. But think about this company, in good company. Right? It's, it's cool you mentioned Chipper Jones because he was one of my favorite baseball players growing up. And I mean, him playing shortstop and Terry Pendleton playing third base. And it's just, I don't know, that was when I was into baseball. So that was really cool. Have his rookie card. It's worth a whole whopping $8. But hey, that's all right. That's cool though, right? I remember when I got that out of the pack. That was awesome, right? For those of us that collected cards. It's really cool. So, but he was in good company. Um, Timothy was. So in Deuteronomy 33.1 talks about Moses 
Um, he's referred to as a man of God. Deuteronomy 33, 1, it says, This is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the people of Israel before his death. Um, in Nehemiah 12, 24, Nehemiah 12, 24, it says, And the chiefs of the Levites, Hashabah, Sherebiah, and Jeshua, the son of Kadmiel, with their brothers who stood opposite them to praise and give thanks according to the commandment of David, the man of God. Right? So he's in the same company here as David, Moses, and then even Elijah, Elijah as well, are called man of God. They're called this because they're not a man that's entrapped into, world, into this world, but what? They have a desire, their heart is set on God above. So this is today is like, are we men, are we women of God? Are we? That's kind of like a challenge here, because what would we be called? Because a man or woman of God is a person who wholly belongs to God, who follows God's word in every aspect of their life, not just on Sunday morning aspect of our lives, but every day of our lives, we are following God's word. Man of God has certain dignity or aura around them, right? They have the sense of just staying in the presence of God because their lives are so intertwined with God, right? It's that what would Jesus do bracelet that never comes off, right? It's that, it's that just that sign that, wow, you can just tell that they live their life with God every day. So my first challenge was, wow, that was a great, that he was in great company. Here's Timothy, a man of God. How would Paul describe me? Whew, hit me hard, quick. How would Paul describe me? How would Paul describe you? You have this man of God, but Pastor Huff spoke last week, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. He preached from this passage last week. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So you have this drastic contrast of man of God versus the man of lawlessness. Which one more describes me and my life? Right? So you have that stark contrast there. But we have to pursue being a man of God or a woman of God. And that's exactly what Paul's encouraging Timothy to do here because it just doesn't happen, boom, overnight. It's a journey, right? And Paul in his letter here gives us several um, commands, not suggestions, not suggestions. Well, it might be good if you do this. No, he gives us some commands that we can apply to our lives through his letter to Timothy. The first one, he says to flee worldliness, flee worldliness. Now, I have the opportunity of a wonderful dictionary that played out very well for this sermon today. As I'm sitting here, it's the middle of the week, it was one evening, and we had wrapped up supper, and I was like, guys, I need some help. So we're sitting around the table, I was like, I need some help. They're like, all right, Dad, what do you need? All right. I didn't get, yeah, Dad, what do you need? I got, okay, Dad, what do you need? I was like, I need your help. I need you to find me some terms. It's like, okay. Can't you just use a dictionary? I was like, well, this will be much more fun. And they did really good on three out of four. So you'll, you'll see it a little bit later, which one we didn't. But three out of four are really good. So what does it mean to flee? So our Coley Crew definition is to run away like your life depends on it. Right? And I actually think there was the word screaming in there. Run away screaming like your life depends on it. Right? That was what our definition of flee means. Right? And I was like, hey, that's very appropriate. Very appropriate. Right? So because in our, in our passage today, right, in our passage today, Paul says that we should flee these things in our passage. So what are these things? We look just directly back, and we actually talked about this passage on Wednesday night. The passage right before this, Paul is talking about the false teachers and the contentment and how people, let's see, let's read this in uh, six, chapters, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Um, verse 9, it says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. 
Right? So he's flee these things, flee this sense of worldliness, flee this sense for desire of just money and prestige. Just flee from all of that. Right? Because we have to make sure that we um, let's see, that we make sure that we flee from the attitude, right? of what money can do to us, flee uh, from the proud arguments of everything, right? Because a lot of times this is all that matters. Look at these bad boys. Yeah. Woo. Joel said, Dad, do you, you steal my fishing trophy? I was like, no, that's mine. Like, don't you remember when I beat you by like eight pounds? It wasn't eight pounds. It was two pounds. Sorry. Exaggerated a little bit, right? Yeah, fish story got bigger, baby. Yeah, I got bigger. This big, right? Well, we we chase after these little. We chase after these little trophies. We chase after these little trinkets. And by the way, I have no idea, but we had a work tournament, a golf tournament, like three weeks ago, and me and Matt won at work in a in a best ball format. I can't believe I hadn't played in like three years. So I was like, okay, well, anyway. But you chase after, right? You chase after these little trinkets, and these are the most important things, right? But that's what Paul is encouraging here is that we have to flee from those worldly things, right? These things are fun. These things we can serve in, right? And we can use them to glorify God. But if your heart is set solely on just getting this little trophy so that I can say, Woo, I want, I'm the best, that's what the warning's about. We can't be consumed by those things, those prideful things, right? Paul's also warning Timothy here that you don't just join the faith just so that you can get something out of it and you can gain possessions and materialism and things out of it. One of the things I think about when I kind of think about this spiritually is the fact that some Christians just join Christianity for the fire insurance. Have I heard that before? All right. They just join it for the fire insurance. But there's a lot more to it that you can gain from your walk with Christ. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. So flee is uh, for those English folks out there. Flee in this text is a present imperative. It is a current command, and it is not optional. Fleeing from these things is not optional to Paul in his letter. He says it again in 2 Timothy 2.22. He says in 2 Timothy 2.22, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So he says this in his second letter to Timothy as well as his first. And one little nugget that, you know, you learn these random things and this might not mean anything to you, but 2 Timothy is Paul's, believed to be Paul's last, you know, captured letter that, that, he, um, that he wrote. So it's very important to him that we flee away from these things. It's very important that we don't flee into a hole and hide, right? He's definitely not saying flee away from these things and hide and, and ju- just, just stay protected in a little shell. No, he's saying that we should flee away from the temptation, but we should flee into the arms of our master, right? We should flee into the arms of our creator. We should flee into the one that molded us in our mother's womb. He alone is our refuge in the storm. Psalm 46, Psalms 46, one through three says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. I like the power when it continues to go. That's enough to stand on its own. But in verse 2, Therefore we will not fear, through, though the earth gives way, through the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. We sing songs about it all the time. And they get us through those times. But it's the scripture that we stand on through the saving grace of God. One of the other things that phrase that I always um, say is, right, you, you become a Christian and it's, it's not rainbows and unicorns. I say that a lot just because it's a fun phrase. And I think of these Skittles commercials and it's just, it's just fun. And that's just how thoughts connect in my head. Um, but here's another one as well, because when you start this journey with Christ, you start this walk chasing after God. We think that it'll all be better. In a lot of ways, it is. But I heard this sentence. I shared it with Renee the other night. Before we were saved, we chase after sin. But after we are saved, sin chases after us. Well, that was really neat. I wish I wrote that. I didn't. Right? I can't remember. I've read so many different little things right preparing. 
but that was really good. I thought, you're right. We come to Christ, so now, right, sin's chasing us, right? As believers in Christ, sin's chasing us, and so that's why Paul's telling us that we have to flee away from it, right? We have to flee from it. So we flee from worldliness, and then also, so back here, then he says that we must pursue, and he gives us several things to pursue, but first, what's the Coley Crew definition of pursuing? Again, they did a great job. Chase after something with intent, with purpose, and with vigor. I'm like, yeah. yeah. I was like, man, that's good. I was like, man, that was a good one. Right? So, and then I was like, pursuing, pursuing, pursuing. All right? And so here's my very funny, I think funny, it was kind of sad story of pursuing that just happened. So Friday I had the opportunity to work from home. And so work from home days means lunch is, is a special treat most of the time. And so we were like, who wants ice cream for lunch? Right? And uh, just so you know, Jules is open three more weeks, by the way. Um, so, so who wants ice cream for lunch? Everybody said, me. And so we all right, well, let's go. Right? It's 1210, let's go, let's rock and roll. I was like, man, lunch, just ice cream. You know what make that better? Ice cream and french fries. Yeah, sweet and salty, right? So I'm violating the rule here. He's not supposed to talk about food in the pulpit because then people get distracted. But this is really good. Pursue, pursue. This guy wants ice cream and this guy wants french fries. All right, let's go to McDonald's and get some french fries. So I go, I sit in line at McDonald's and this person in front of me is like sitting there and I notice they're not talking. Like, what's going on? And then I look up there and it's like temporarily closed. And I'm like, well, I just wasted the last three minutes of my lunch hour. We got to rock and roll here. All right, I want some french fries. Okay, all I know is it's temporary closed. So you, most of you are familiar with the exit here, so you know that this is not the best way to do this in terms of left turn, left turn, left turn, right turn, right turn, left turn. All right, so I go up to McDonald's. I take a right into McDonald's. I come out of McDonald's. I'm like, okay, Burger King it is. Okay, so I take the left out of McDonald's, which is not fun, and then I go and I take the left into Burger King, and I go sit in the drive-thru drive at Burger King. I'm like, that guy's not ordering anything either. I'm like, what in the world? I'm like, well, I'm backing out of this bad boy before I get stuck. So we backed out, and then we saw on their sign, they said, temporarily out of service due to water treatment. I'm like, whoa. Okay, so I don't know if all the construction, they're doing something. I was like, I want some french fries. I am pursuing me some french fries with vigor. I want my french fries. I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to get my french fries. Arby's. 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 Yes. All right, so let's go to Jules and get her ice cream. Yes, very good. So I got the ice cream. I got the most important piece. All right, so then I take the right out of Jules, and um, I'm like, Arby's, right? Here we go. Crinkle fries. They got their new crinkle fries. I'm locked and loaded. You're ready to go. Lined out to the door. Like to the, like to the street, not to the door, but to the street. Like you can't even get in to the driveway. And I'm like, <sighs> I was like, oh, fries. Ugh. I was like, can't, guys. Got to get back. Just, just ice cream. I failed at my pursuit of french fries. But this is nothing like God arranging that with your sister, but check this out. So I get back at my desk at work, and it's, you know, right around 1, 1.15. Halfway way down a rock and roll. My wife comes in from her lunch date with one of her friends. And she says, hey, honey, I have some extra fries here for you. Would you like me to warm up for you? I was like. And she's like, I was like, yeah, I looked at her like that. And she goes, I was like, you don't know the pursuit with vigor that I've been on for the last hour. I just wanted a French fry. Right. And she brought me eight or nine French fries. Right. So, but pursuit, right. Pursuit. Life is much more important than a French fry. But I was focused probably on the wrong thing for that hour. But I was focused on some french fries as we had a special treat. We pursued them with intent, with purpose, and with vigor. But right, but Timothy says here in his letter that we are to pursue six things. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. We are to pursue those. Now, they are not valued much in our culture anymore. But they are still 
valued by God. Don't ever forget that. Our culture will scream that those don't matter anymore, but they do. Oh, do they? And it's really neat. One of the things that is studying these, it broke these into, into three groups. So the first two, righteousness and godliness, these deal with our relationship with God. Right? These two deal with our relationship to God. So righteousness includes our attitudes and actions in harmony with what God calls right. Harmony. I mentioned the other night a Bible study, just blood harmony, how beautiful that is. Right? Do we live right in, in the right relationship with righteous? Are our lives righteous? Are we in harmony with what God's word is saying? Or what's the word? Dissonant? What's the chord? What's the chord where they clash? Dissonant chords or something. It's like they just, they just don't go together, right? Or do we clash with the way of the gods? Um, all right, so which one are we doing there? And then God, the second one is godliness. So, right, that's godlike character and conduct, right? Are we men or are we women of God that they've called us, that God's called us to be? Are we? So, righteousness and godliness. And then the second two deal with attitudes that animate our Christian life. So, faith and love. Faith is our trust in God. Love is our selfless devotion to the needs of others. And then the third group, which is perseverance and gentleness, they, they are these qualities to define how we should relate to our hostile world around us. With perseverance and gentleness is how we should relate to those. Right? So Paul is continuing to encourage Timothy and in turn, encouraging all of us to continuously pursue these things. We don't wake up and say, all right, I'm going to go get this righteousness thing done today, but maybe we should. I don't know if I want to do this faith thing today, and I'm definitely not going to love this person today, but maybe we should. Because that's what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do here, is to pursue after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and perseverance, and gentleness just so more importantly than that french fry that I wanted. But you could tell by my story, I was focused on that french fry. But how much more important are these qualities and these attributes as we pursue godliness? Now, another problem with this pursuing aspect here is that we live in an instant culture, right? Brene cooks most of our meals in an instant pot. That thing has cooked I don't know how many pounds of rice, right? But an instant pot. You just got to put everything in there and just hit the button. Like 15 minutes later, bam, done. Right? Anybody ever ordered Uber or Uber Eats or whatever your favorite app is? What? DoorDash. You don't even have to go out. Just bloop, call. Bam, there it is. Alexa or Siri. You don't even have to type anymore. Huff, I don't know if you remember this, but the other, a couple while back, you were preaching and your, your phone or your watch spoke. Renee and I figured out why it spoke to you. Because you said the word serious that day. There was a sermon and you said, this is serious. And she goes, what? <laughs> she woke up. She was listening to your message. Right? But we have those things now. You don't want to travel, but you want to go on vacation? I watched a lot of AFE with people with uh, those virtual reality sets. You ain't got to travel anymore. Right? It's an instant culture. Medical, there's a pill for that. But what happens is that instant culture, instant culture creates where we have the loss of ability. Loss of ability to think for ourselves. Because it's just boom, 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 boom. We can't get into and understand a deeper concept than maybe more than surface value. And a thoughtful insight on a matter? Really? Just tweet and forget it. Or tweet and retweet and retweet and retweet. Why don't we just not do that and just think about it? What's God telling us in this situation? What's He doing in that situation? We live in an instant culture. Eugene Peterson said this, he said, religion in our time has been captured by the tourist mindset. Religion is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. 
For some, it is a weekly jaunt to church. For others, occasional visits to special services. Some, with a bent for religious entertainment and sacred diversion, plan their lives around special events like retreats, rallies, and conferences. We go to see a new personality, to hear a new truth, to get a new experience, and so somehow expand our otherwise humdrum lives. The religious life is defined as the latest and newest. Zen, faith healing, human potential, successful living, choreography, in the chance, Armageddon. We'll try anything until something else comes along. So are you a religious tourist? Right? Do we live in that instant culture? Or do we have the perseverance to consistently pursue godliness? That's a challenge. And that's also the encouragement that Paul is telling Timothy. So flee worldliness, pursue the godliness... And then the next one is fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. Here's where our definition struggled a little bit. Our Coley Crew definition of fight the good fight was punch someone in the nose. Or my favorite, hit them with a fishing stick. I'm like, yeah, probably shouldn't hit them with a fishing rod. Right? But that was our definition of a, a good fight. <laughs> so I told you, three out of four, not bad. Okay, three out of four, not bad. But fight the good fight. Brothers and sisters, the Christian life is worth fighting for. It is worth fighting for. Souls depend on it. If we go God's way, though, we will be against the world. We will be against the world. The moment you turn to Christ, it's a new chapter in the spiritual warfare of your life. Matthew 6.24 says this. 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You have to stay focused and serve God and stay away from that conflict. Matthew 12.30 says, 1230 says, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. It's either God or the world, but Satan owns the fence. I saw that. Brian, did you find that picture? That quote, it's either God or the world, but Satan owns the fence. Are you on the fence? Because if you're on the fence, you're not in the game. And that's a choice. You're not in the fight if you're sitting on the fence. And a lot of times, that's exactly where the devil wants you, is on the fence. I will not get this quote right. Maybe Renee can help me. But I remember one of my buddies in college, there's a quote that he said, that he hopes that when he dies, all of hell rejoices that I'm no longer in the fight. Whew. I probably paraphrase that a little bit, but whew. When I die, I hope all hell rejoices that I'm no longer in the fight. Mm. That'll get you. Let's go. Let's get off the fence. Let's fight the good fight. Now, we fight a threefold enemy, right? We fight a threefold enemy the world, the flesh, and the devil game on you got to know who you're fighting to fight them right the bible tells us to flee the worldly ideas and attitudes deny the lust of our flesh and resist the devil and if we come to know that the definition of truth is tending to change this fight that we're in is not so much a physical struggle as it is a struggle for the truth right Like I said, that instant culture gets us where we can't think, we can't get deeper, we can't understand the principles of what's going on around us, and so we just roll with the flow, and next thing you know, we're on the fence. We're not even on the right side of the fence. We have to fight for the truth, God's truth. Matthew Henry writes this in his commentary, These who will get to heaven must fight their way there. Our fighting against the corrupt world, the lustly flesh, the devil is clear evidence. When we fight against them, it's clear evidence that we are not children of lights 
excuse me, when we fight against them, we are children of light and we hate sin. We hate sin to win because when it wins, it tears people down. When sin wins, it tears people down. So Kevin, how do I choose which fight to fight in? You don't have to look far. You don't have to look far. When I grew up, I learned division with apples and oranges. You're like, what? Just make sure you're paying attention. I learned division with apples and oranges. So Joa is uh, taking some classes. And in one of his questions, his math 101 questions, it says, do you think the government, or out of this survey of government correspondence, should the government take control over trying to lower the gap in economic income? According to the survey, so blah, 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 blah. I'm like, you slipped that in there on me, didn't you, devil? Right? You're thinking, what do you mean? Apples and oranges. Learn the principle, mathematical principle. Or try to get my son to think about what he's not doing and should just rely on the government. And the government will take care of everything. Which they're called to take care of some things, but not everything. I'm going to digress there, but they slipped that in there on me. In his English 101 class, his presentation, he needed to make sure that he put his name and then which pronoun he likes to choose. In his English 101 class, English 101, we're not helicopter parents. We've homeschooled, I think, teacher. Vice President has done very well over there. I'm the janitor and the principal. That's our roles. I think we've done okay. But as he gets out there, right, and the other ones come behind, that's a fight. I got to fight. Now, in our situation, I'm not fighting it like the school board that's very local here. Y'all have all heard about that. That's not how I'm fighting it. I'm finding it in the heart of my children and showing them that this is how the world is saying to do it and this is how God is saying to do it. So you choose how to fight your fight wherever you're at in that situation. But I didn't have to look far. I'm not going to preach on critical race theory this morning either, but it teaches that the most important thing about a person is the color of their skin. It's not. That's not what my Bible teaches me. My Bible teaches me in Luke 19.10 that Jesus came to save the lost, no matter who they are. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I look to a day when people will not be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. That's the opposite of what we're teaching today. Let me talk to my children. That's my fight that I'm in. Now, whether you have kids right now at this stage or not, you might have grandkids. Don't just close your ears because it's not time to just put the gloves down. It's time to still fight. Don't put them down. If you're not the grandkid, you're not the mother or father, maybe you're the kid. You might need to put your gloves on. Don't punch me. Lily smacked me the other day. Boom, she just got me. I was distracted. She got me. But hey, might be time to put your gloves on. I am so tired of hearing, it's a problem, it's a problem, it's a problem. We need somebody to fix it. We need a leader to fix it. <clears throat> Mother Teresa said, do not wait for leaders. Do it alone. Person to person. Be faithful in small things because it is in them that your strength lies. I like that. Forget the leader. Person to person. One on one. Stuff works. Did Jesus look for political power? No. Did he go to this person's house? Yep. Did he go to this person's tree? Yep. Did he go to this person's boat? Yep. Go. 
Go. Get it. Fight there. Fight there. I don't know a lot of you very intimately, but I don't see many people with megaphones and and signs, and that's not the way that we fight. And hey, if you want to do that, that's great. If the cause is biblical, but fight one-on-one. Fight one-on-one. Fight for that person who is struggling, right? Fight for what right's in front of you. I'm fighting for the souls of my children. I'm showing them pictures of the border. I'm showing them that we have a political issue here where policy has failed. But all of these people that are seeking a better life, guess what? They're all children of God. All of them. And this policy is failing in whatever way. How do we fix it? I don't know, but I wish we could just start all over. I don't have the answers. That's not my area of expertise. But I know that the system is broken. But I know that I have plenty of brothers and sisters that I need to help. And I need to fight for. Maybe you need to fight for the mother that's trying to decide if she should keep her child or not. Maybe you should fight for them. Maybe you should fight for the father that's getting ready to have their first child and they don't have a clue. Been there. Good support network. A lot of people don't have that today. Maybe you should fight for them. Maybe you should be a sounding board for the drug addict that everyone's abandoned and just needs someone to talk to. Fight for them. But get off the fence and make sure that you fight and be a voice for God. Right? I know what a young, these young teenage boys in here are thinking, yeah, let's fight. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do this. But whether we fight, whether we have a war, it doesn't end well, does it? And that's the difference between the war that we have and the good fight of Christ. Listen to this quote. All other wars have a bad, lowering, and demoralizing tendency. They call forth the worst passions of the human mind. They harden the conscience and sap the foundations of religion and morality. That's the war and fighting as we know it. Right? It saps us. But Christian warfare alone tends to call forth the best things that are left in man. It promotes humility and charity. It lessens selfishness and worldliness. It induces men and women to set their affections on the things above. The old, the sick, the dying are never known to repent of fighting Christ's battles against sin, the world, and the devil. Their only regret is they did not begin to serve Christ long before. Fight the good fight. It might be a hard battle, but it's worth it. So fight the good fight. So flee worldliness, pursue godliness, and fight the good fight. Fourthly, Take hold of eternity. Take hold of eternity. Coley Crew definition is take something and grab it super tight. Super tight. Don't let go. Get a grip on it. A lot of people just need to get a grip. <laughs> a lot of things. Get a grip on it. Right? You can view eternity in three different ways. Eternal life is viewed as a free gift. In John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world, He gave us, what? His Son. Eternal life. It's us. Eternal life. Right? Ephesians 2, 8. Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by the grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that one may boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that he should walk in them. Eternal life is viewed as a free gift. This was a new concept to me this week as I studied, but eternal life is viewed as a present experience. Eternal life can be viewed as a present experience. So in John 10.10, 10, John 10.10 10 says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's Jesus. It's in red letters. Right? 
have life and have it abundantly. He's here for that. Those fights that I just walked you through, whatever they may be, when you see your son or daughter take a stand for what's right, does that feel good? Oh, yeah. You feel a mother with her unborn child make that decision to say, yep, she's coming. This baby's coming. They make that decision. You see that picture of that baby, her holding that baby. How's that feel? Yep, it's the right decision, right? You help an immigrant that has absolutely nothing get started. Why'd you do that? Because God loves you, brother. How's that feel? Does it feel like a little piece of heaven? Does it feel great? Because it should, because that's a little bit of what eternity in the presence should feel like. Present should feel like. John MacArthur said, Paul here is is admonishing Timothy to get a grip on a reality of the matters associated with eternal life so that he would live and minister with a heavenly and eternal perspective. Do we go through our lives with an eternal and heavenly perspective? Do you? I know I often get distracted. I wish I could say yes <laughs> every morning. I wish I'd get up. I could say that, but I can't. That's my challenge. A lot of us, right, I don't know if you remember a month or two ago, we had this ladder, right? And it was this ladder of growing. And I said, what? A lot of people like to say, hey, I'm on the ladder, baby. And they just do what on the first rung? They just sit there. They don't realize the rewards of growing closer to God. What we are looking for influences what we are living and how we are living. So we have to look toward eternity. The world pulls us down when we focus on it, but God lifts us up when we focus on Him. One commentator wrote, Possessing eternal life is one thing, but taking hold of it is another. The former is static, the later is dynamic. The former depends on God, the later depends, latter depends on us. The former comes through faith alone. Taking hold requires faith plus obedience. We have that eternal life when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. Amen. Thank you very much. But it is so much more. When you take hold of that eternal life and you live for it every single day, every conversation that you have, every conversation that you're like, oh, I don't really want to talk to that person today, but they are having an absolutely horrible day. right? All they need is a, I thumbs up a lot on text messages. Maybe that's all they need is to know that someone loves them. Eternal life is viewed as a reward now and in the future. Mark 10, 29 through 30 says, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is, one, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake or for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Every time you fight that good fight, every time that you persevere, every time that you lay hold of eternity and you never let it go, every time you get a glimpse of the victory and eternal presence of God. So do you take hold of eternity? Do you focus on it? I've replayed Sally's two minutes of preaching her mini-sermon last week, many, many, many times this week. What are you focused on? Are we focused on eternity? Are we focused on Christ? Are we focused on God? Or are we focused at the shiny objects in our lives? What are we focused on? So flee worldliness, pursue godliness, fight the good fight, take hold of eternity. And finally, he gives them here, charge you to keep the commandments. I charge you means to continually ask this of you. Continually ask. Not just one time flee, not just one time pursue, not just one time take hold of eternity, but again and again and again and again. 
Brian, were you able to get that audio clip? The video? Were you able to get that? Okay. All right. You go to a baseball game. They do this little cheer. Oh, you are weak. Do it again. Do it again. Charge. Charge. A lot of times we're just like the first time we tried that. We're not charging. We may be trying, but we're not charging. Right? What if we went through and we said, Eternity! Christ! Give me a shiny trophy. I mean, that's what we take. We take the shiny trophy. Which one do you want? Charging us. He's charging Timothy. He's charging all of us. He reassures him. Paul is reassuring him that he, Timothy, is on the right path if he's doing these things, if he's pursuing these traits, if he's pursuing this righteousness, he's pursuing godliness, he's taking hold of eternity, he is on the right path. Are we on that right path? We have to keep it, guard it, protect it, and depend on it. That's the first half of our passage today. The second half has to deal, I think, with motivation. Go back to our main passage. 1 Timothy 6. Right? We talked about the attributes. We talked about the man of God. We talked about in verse 13, I charge you. Right? But then the second half, here's a lot of the motivation. Because the problem that we have is in our culture today is that when we deny God, we're denying that we have a creator that we're accountable to. Right? I've said this before, but Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth is almost the most controversial statement in the whole Bible. And you can make a case for many verses, but that steps on a lot of toes because I didn't do this, God created it. Well, I won't credit for that. Nope, God did that. God sent that person in that wreck. God sent this, God sent that, God did this. God connected those dots. But it's God above. And that's our motivation. There's so much here in this second half, so let's rock and roll with these. It says that Christ's testimony before Pontius Pilate. His testimony before Pontius Pilate. That shows me the incredible restraint that Christ had in his proclamation in front of Pontius Pilate. I never thought about that until Huff preached it last week. But the restraint that God has and the restraint that Christ showed here in his confession before Pontius Pilate, he said who he was. And the whole legion of angels could have came down. But what power and restraint that he has. Our passage says, Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ... There are so many wonderful appearing things in our nature around us. I can't even imagine the power, the glory, the scare, the fear, the tremble. I don't know what will happen when Christ comes through those clouds. I don't know what it will look like. But I do know I will be in awe if I see it. And I know just the fraction. Was there was a, what was the picture y'all took yesterday? It was beautiful. It was the middle of the day. It was a full circle sun dog like... Just rain, almost a round rainbow in the sky kind of deal. It was just beautiful, right? But how much more power? And I, we were like, oh, wow. That's incredible. Renee's like trying to take all these pictures to try to get it, right? But even more, how much more in all will we be at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes back? Our passage says, at the proper time. When it says right here that Christ will come back at the proper time, you know what that tells me? And it says it later, it says that it's on God's watch. It's on God's time. It's on God's timetable. He is our sovereign God. I will rest in that fact. I will rest in that fact. It says that he is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is better leader than we have today. Better than any leader we have today. I'll take him anytime. It says, who alone has immortality? 
the only eternal being that will never die is God, our Father, our Creator. It says that He will dwell in unapproachable lights. What that means right there is how good His holiness truly is. We can't come to Him in our state if we don't accept Him. But He dwells in unapproachable lights. That's God's holiness, His perfection. So to Him be honor and our eternal dominion. We stay with Him for eternity. That's my God. Is He yours? Is He yours? I'm going to close today with a paragraph, so stay with me because this is, a, this is a good challenge. I'm not reading this whole book. Don't freak out. i got like five sentences, so bear with me because this is what we're closing with. This is uh, Studies of Sermon on the Mount, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says here, it says, So if a man has served mammon in his life until he dies, we're chasing these things, okay? We're chasing these worldly things, money and worldly things. If a man has served mammon in this life until he dies, he will find himself beyond death, outside God. He has not served God, so there is only one thing to say about him according to Scripture, and that is that the wrath of God abideth on him. John 3, 36. Okay? Got that? Abiding outside of God if you chase these things. All he has lived for has gone. There in eternity, he is a naked soul having to face God, the God who is love and who is gracious and kind, the Father, the one who counts the very hairs of the Christian's head, is a stranger to him. He is without God, and not only without God in the world, but without God in eternity, without hope, Facing an eternity of wretchedness and remorse, of misery and regrets. Sin is a total loss. If you are not living to serve Him, then that will be your faith. fate. You will have nothing at all, and you will dwell in that negativity, that hopeless negativity through all eternity. God forbid that that should be the fate of anyone within the reach of these words. Today I talked about eternity. Heaven, glorious eternity with Christ our Savior. That's not the only eternity there is. There's eternity in heaven and there's eternity in hell. I haven't sugarcoated any of it. It's just a plain fact and it's a truth according to God's scripture. I'll take eternity in heaven. Which one do you want to take? Let's stand.